Good morning. Let's stand as we pray. Father God, through your written word, the Bible, please show us what our hearts are like and please change them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. A friend of mine uh, in Australia once told me the story of a church minister he knows called Rob. And one day Rob uh, found this wallet that someone had dropped and he found that it had $3,000 in it, which is about 1,500 quid. And so he handed it in to the police to return it. And next day Rob got a phone call from the owner of the wallet to thank him. And the guy said, um, did you know how much was in it? And Rob said, I mean, he counted it exactly. He said, yeah, you know, $3,000, you know, 50, 57 and 20 cents. Why is any of it missing? And the guy said, no, it's, it's all there. I just guess I wasn't expecting to get any of it back. And Rob said, well, I'm a Christian and I wouldn't dream of doing anything else. And uh, this guy asked for his uh, contact details to send him a thank you. And a few days later, this bottle of wine and a card arrived. And the bottle of wine just went in the cupboard. And they forgot about it uh, until his wife's women's Bible study drank it at their end of year dinner. And next day, the empty bottle was standing on the side in their kitchen. And a friend came around who worked in the wine trade. And he said, where did you get this? He says, this is Grey's Hermitage. This is the most expensive wine you can buy in Australia. Do you know how much this bottle would have cost? $350. To which Rob's wife said, that explains it. It did slip down very nicely. <laughs> and I love that story for all the different attitudes to money that are mixed up in it. So you've got the guy expecting that anyone finding 3,000 quid would keep it, or 1,500 quid. You've got Rob saying he wouldn't dream of doing that. You've got the guy's generosity in the bottle of wine because $350 is just small beer to him. And then you've got Rob's wife not knowing a Grey's Hermitage from something on special from Lidl. Because money, what we will do to get it and what we then do with it reveals the state of our hearts, doesn't it? And that's what our bit of Luke's Gospel this week is all about. So could you turn back in the Bibles to page 880? Page 880. That'll get you to uh, Luke chapter 20 and 21. Page 880. Luke 20 and 21. This is the bit where Luke is telling us about the final showdown between Jesus and the Jewish leaders who got rid of him. Uh, the Jewish leaders have passed judgment on Jesus. Uh, they say, uh, you're not the son of God, you're not our rightful king, we want to get rid of you, which they did a few days later on the cross. And Jesus passes judgment on them, saying, you look like people who know God, but uh, in fact, you don't. Uh, it's just a religious veneer over unchanged hearts. So look down to chapter 20, verse 45, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. And in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the scribes, one group of the Jewish leaders. 
who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Then this week's bit, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And the the link word between last week's bit and this week's, well, the link is the word widow and the issue of money. What we'll do to get it and what we'll then do with it and how that reveals the state of our hearts. So we're going to look a little bit more at the scribes from last week's uh, bit to add to what Jonathan said, and then at the widow uh, in this week's. And it's like looking in the mirror and asking, you know, where do I see myself? Where do I see my attitude to money, to God, in any of these characters? So here's my heading for the first half. Question, is money a God we'll do anything for? Because the answer for these scribes was yes. If you look back to chapter 20, verse 47, Jesus says, beware of the scribes, verse 47, who devour widows' houses. Now, to me, that immediately brings to mind the ridiculous picture of a scribe on a bulldozer, you know, uh, plowing down this poor lady's home. But it can't mean that. So what does it mean? The answer is that we're not sure. Uh, Like Jonathan said last week, some people think the scribes were manipulating poor widows into giving them money which the widows couldn't afford. You know, think how important it is to give to God's work, Mrs. Smith. Think how much he'll bless you if you do. Think how displeased he'll be if you keep things back for yourself. It's easy for ministers and ministries to become manipulative, isn't it, when they need money? But the scribes were also the lawyers of the day and they often looked after widows' estate uh, and finances and they were known for helping themselves to hefty fees which the widows couldn't afford. Either way, Jesus says they were so hungry for money they would do anything to get it, regardless of who it hurt, regardless of whether it was right or wrong. That's the point of that word devour in verse 47. It literally means eat up greedily. Some friends of ours have a Labrador and the moment the bowl goes on the floor, he's being like these scribes. Hunger for money, that'll do anything for money. I've got a friend called Matthew. He went through uni and then he started work at a merchant bank in London. And within a few months, he discovered that it was riddled with corruption. One of his immediate bosses was uh, at least someone who called himself a Christian, went to church, And Matthew went to speak to him because he'd already made up his mind that he was going to leave the bank. And so he talked to this guy about leaving. And then then he said, do you not think you should too? He said, why have you stayed so long knowing all of this is going on? And the guy said, well, we have a huge mortgage on our house in Chelsea. The kids are in independent schools and we're, we're too deep into the London lifestyle was what he said the holidays the skiing the Caribbean money had become his God 
Because whatever you ultimately look to to make you feel happy and secure is your God and you will do anything for it. So do we see ourselves in the mirror here? Is money in some way playing the part of God in our lives? Are we tempted in that direction? And if so, how? We may not be in the thick of corruption in a merchant bank, but are we prepared to get money wrongly in a way that shows we'll really do anything for it? Even if it's just fiddling expenses or a tax claim or a credit claim or whatever, some kind of dishonesty that says money is that important, I'll do anything for it. Or it may not be anything dodgy or dishonest. I know one family from the last church I served where the dad had seen his own parents go bankrupt and he was determined that what he then went through would never happen to his children. And he worked crazy hours around the clock, barely seeing his family, and finally in his mid-50s he died of a heart attack. And I remember one of his daughters saying to me, we always had more than enough money, but what we really wanted and needed was more of dad but he thought money would ultimately make them happy and secure he did anything for them to have it even though it cost their family time together and ultimately probably his life that's the first question is money a god that we will do anything for are there any symptoms of that in our lives Let's look on at the widow in chapter 21. My second heading, my heading for the second half is this. Question, is the Lord the God that we'll do anything for? That sums up the contrast of the passage. Is the Lord the God we'll do anything for? And the answer for this widow was yes. Look down to chapter 21, verse 1 again. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And if you'd have been watching, they would have looked very generous. And you probably wouldn't even have noticed this widow threading her way between them because all eyes would be on these rolls of 50-pound notes being chucked in by the rest. But Jesus notices. Because Jesus notices everything, doesn't he? And everyone. And what we do and why we do it and what it really means. And he still notices everything. Now he's back in heaven looking down on history as judge. So he saw the rich putting their gifts in verse 2 and, unlike a lot of other people, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. In today's money, maybe 50p. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. He's not necessarily saying the rich were stingy, just that they'd given out of plenty and that they had plenty left having given. Whereas the widow had put in more than all of them in the sense that it cost her far more, in the sense that the Lord valued it far more because he valued what it revealed of her heart, which was remarkable trust in him and love for him. So just think about her trust. I think if we'd have been there, the obvious question to ask her would have been, but what are you going to live on now that you've just put in everything that you had to live on? I mean, what about your own needs? And I guess she'd have said, I trust the Lord to meet them. 
I trust him to look after me, be my ultimate security. So I don't know, maybe she'd been given these two coins earlier that day, begging, or, or by someone who came round and knew that the cupboard was bare. She thought to herself, you know, if the Lord could do that this morning, he can do that again this evening. That's not a problem for him. I can trust him to do that. In fact, she exemplifies what Jesus taught earlier in Luke where he said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll put on. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, and yet God feeds them. Consider the lilies, they neither toil nor spin, yet even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, he says. And so that maps out the two options. Either we trust the Lord to provide for us and be our ultimate security through all the means that he gives, jobs and salaries and benefits and so on. Either we trust him or we trust those lesser things like money, like the jobs that we earn it with. In which case, like Jesus says, we will be riddled with anxiety and worry about any threat to our money, or our jobs, or the economy. And we'll forget that it is only the Lord who secures our jobs and our savings and all the rest of it. You know, we we don't do that by being a good employee or by voting the way we think is going to be best. So what she did with her money revealed her trust uh, and then it also revealed her love for the Lord. Because if you'd been there, the other obvious question you'd want to ask her is, Why did you give it all? Surely giving one of those two coins you had would have been more than enough to show your commitment. Surely it would have been more sensible to hang on to the other, to have something for a rainy day or at least a rainy afternoon. And I guess she'd have said, well, I gave them both because I wanted to show him I love him. The gifts that were being given here, it's important to realize they were voluntary. They weren't the temple tax that they had to pay once a year. They were either gifts to support the ministry of the temple or gifts to say thanks to the Lord for something good that had happened, maybe a, uh, a significant answer to prayer. So they were ways of showing love to the Lord, and this widow certainly showed hers. And the false move now for the preacher is to say uh, therefore we must all be like the widow you sell the past by inserting that word must which achieves absolutely nothing as well you know loving God does not come from gritting my teeth and saying to myself I must love God more the Bible says elsewhere we love because He first loved us. And that particular verse is talking about the cross. So the only way that our love for him will grow, or perhaps for some of us here this morning, the only way our love for him will start uh, is by taking in his love for us. And just days after this moment in Luke 21, Jesus was dying on a cross for our forgiveness out of love for us, uh, giving his all for us, unmeasuredly, unreservedly, nothing sensible about that. 
Nothing where you say, that, that's enough. And taking that in is where love for him starts and restarts and grows. It's like the hymn says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so, demand, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. But I won't get to that point by gritting my teeth and saying, I must love God more, must be like this widow in the story. I'll only get to that point like it says at the start of that hymn. How does it begin if you know it? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. So if you can't yet say that you love God or you frankly don't feel much in love with him this morning or you feel God is asking too much of you this morning, then read about the cross in the Bible. Think about the cross. Talk to fellow Christians about the cross. And pray for the Lord to help you take in what he did for you there. Ask him to get you to the point where you can genuinely say and sing, love so amazing, so divine, demands and shall have my soul, my life, my all. And even when you're at that point, which is a lovely place to be at, it doesn't automatically answer all the money questions like how much do I spend, how much do I save if I can, How much do I give away to support the spread of the gospel and the building up of the church and the relief of need in Jesus' name? But it does mean you come to all of that not asking the question, how much must I give? But asking the question, how much can I give? So that's the mirror. You've got the scribe for whom money is a God he'll do anything for. You've got... The widow for whom the Lord is the God she'll do anything for. And kind of in between, these rich people we know not much about. And he says, where do you see yourself? Maybe you do see yourself in the scribes. Perhaps because you've not yet given Jesus his God place in your life. And and money actually has that role instead right now. Or perhaps because as a Christian, your, your trust and love has skidded off the road and it's, it's, it's back with money. And it needs to be directed to Jesus again. Or maybe you see yourself in the widow because you also are in financial need, even debt. And you don't have enough to make ends meet. And if you're a Christian like that, you may be thinking, so I can't really do much for the Lord with my money. And this part of God's word would say, focus on what you can do, not what you can't, not what others can. And remember that because Jesus knows your whole story, he sees the real value of what you can do, which someone else might not even notice. So maybe all you can do is pick up a few groceries for a friend this week and and say, look, you don't need to pay me back for that. And Jesus thinks, fantastic. Or maybe all you can do is to give to what the Lord's doing here by putting 50p in the collection box, if there is a collection box, whatever. But because Jesus knows your whole story, he might turn to the angels in heaven and say, did you see that? That is the most significant thing that happened at St. Joseph's this week. 
But others of us will identify with the rich people. We don't know how rich they were, just that they had comfortably more than enough, which is basically many of us here. And I guess the message or the caution for us is that it's easy to think, isn't it, that we are being godly and generous with our money when in fact we may be less so than we think. And we need the Lord to scrutinize that for us. Because it's not the amounts we give that tell the real story. Many of us, including myself, <coughs> can give three and even four-figure sums out of savings without even noticing it, to be honest. It's the proportion we give of what comes to us which is going to reveal my heart. And the willingness to give to the point where I really do notice it. I really do have to adjust other things around it. But as I've said, that is not going to come by gritting our teeth and saying, I must do more. It will only come as we take in how Jesus gave himself to the point of giving all for us and say, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Father, we'd love to be like this widow in heart, spiritually. We'd love to trust in you like her. We'd love to love you like her. So please would you work in our hearts to give us the same trust and love and so to be freed from trusting in money and loving it, freed from looking for security in the wrong places, freed from the anxiety and worry that's the flip side of all that and free to be generous in a way that reflects your generosity to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>